my name is Justin, and this is my other life. All of this started as just a side project, but sometimes the side project is the true project. If you want to learn more about my research, writings, or videos, or if you want to find more conversations like this one, check out theotherlifenow.com. And by the way, all of my work is supported by my audience, so huge thanks to all my patrons and to everyone who throws me some support every now and then. But hey, if you get what I'm doing and you're into it, even just a random email would be nice. It's good to hear from people. Or you could certainly leave a review on iTunes. That's really useful because it helps other people find the show. All right, so today I'm joined by Dave Hoover. And the reason I wanted to talk with Dave is because Dave is a software developer that specializes in the language called Solidity, which is the language associated with the Ethereum blockchain. The reason I'm really interested in that and therefore Dave, is because I'm really interested in creative ways that the blockchain can and likely will be used to re-engineer different types of human organizations and communities. And I've recently written a few blog posts trying to suggest more precisely how this might be done in desirable ways. I think I gave one of my posts the title of Neo-Feudal Techno-Communism. A lot of people thought that it was fascist or authoritarian, but I assure you that it's not. In fact, I go over this here for a little bit. I'm not an engineer or developer myself, so it's hard to assess how realistic my ideas are. So basically, I asked Dave if he'd sit down with me and I could pick his brain and he could basically tell me if I'm crazy or wrong or mistaken, or if the kinds of ideas I've been writing about are at least conceivable. Maybe we could start off by... You could just give me and my listeners a little bit of a sense of your technical expertise, perhaps, and maybe just a brief kind of statement about your current role or position in the current blockchain world. Sure. Um, my technical expertise, uh, it's a bit of a story. Uh, the short version is Go for um, it. I'm, I'm self-taught. I, was, uh, um, I studied psychology mm. and uh, then family therapy um, mm. in grad school, and then uh, found myself needing a side job because <laughs> of uh, uh, having a little baby at the age of uh, 24 mm. and uh, learned HTML. And uh, that was uh, 19 years ago. Okay. Uh, my, da- my daughter's 19. And uh, it's been an amazing ride. About a year in, after learning HTML, I, I uh, decided to switch careers because I was just enamored with <laughs> just the the process of that of, of developing software it was just felt very natural to me and very interesting to me and um okay. i've been doing i've been doing it for 18 years now full time and uh most of that time has been spent in web development uh and startups sort of like helping uh, i worked at groupon for a while um but three years ago i uh yeah yeah about three years ago uh, I started uh, diving into cryptocurrencies, starting with Bitcoin, and mm. then um, Ethereum. And when most people most people these days say, "Oh, someone's into cryptocurrencies," they think of, of investing. And I've never really been involved with that side of it. I, I'm just involved in the tech. Gotcha. Uh, of like building building things using blockchain technology. Uh, so, in, in, like in the community or the in the industry these days. I'm uh, kind of a quiet uh, but fairly established Ethereum engineer. 
Um, I don't go to a lot of conferences or write a lot of medium posts about it or anything. I'm just doing my work. Most of my uh, time is spent working on a startup or a, a emerging port, uh, <laughs> protocol called Datablock. Um, they're based in, uh, or I should say, we're based in Santa Monica. Uh, and, and I advise and help some other companies as well um, with with my spare time. And yeah, that, and, and, and it's almost exclusively focused on the Ethereum blockchain. Okay, that's great. That's a very good summary. Maybe what we'll do is we'll kind of, uh, I'll pitch you sort of questions at the general level, and then maybe we'll drill down as we as we please. Maybe one way to open up the conversation is just to say, or to ask you that, you know, there are, I guess what we could call blockchain bears and bulls, right? I mean, you hear a lot of people out there today who are preaching that, you know, blockchain is the most revolutionary thing to happen in in years, perhaps centuries or decades even. And then you also see some people who are very skeptical that it's even going to take off much more than it has been taking off. Okay. So if if, if, if it's reasonable to kind of uh, break all of the, you know, the public speakers and writers and thinkers on the topic into these two camps, where would you place yourself broadly in this uh, in the in this debate? Like, how do you see blockchain as do you think that are you interested in it because you think it's one of the most important and significant things to, that will happen in the you know near future? Or are you just kind of interested in the immediate, you know, opportunities that it uh, races to you as an engineer? Um, my interest in it comes from a pretty strong conviction that this, that blockchain and the, the emergence of Bitcoin, um, almost a decade ago was like the biggest thing that's happened since the emergence of the World Wide web okay. in the nineties. Um, and I don't, it's hard to say like if it's going to have as big of a impact as the web has had on the world. Right. Uh, but it's easy to imagine that it will. And I mean, this, this is a technology that's not just uh, a way of transporting information around. It's a, <laughs> it's a way of doing that in a cryptographically secure way, but it's also money that can be like uh, transferred around, uh, which is totally new. Um, right. or I should say it's the next evolution. It's the next evolution of money. Um, so I, I'm, I'm definitely bullish. I'm not saying it's the biggest thing in centuries. Uh, it could, that could happen. Uh, like mm -hmm. there's definitely futurists who see governments emerging on the blockchain and all sorts of interesting things in the, in the convergence of, um, artificial, artificial intelligence in the blockchain and internet of things in the blockchain. And it's just like, you know, I don't know. Then at some point, all the buzzwords start blending together, and yeah. you're just like, "Well, let's just wait, wait ten years and see what happens." Right. I think. <laughs> but yeah. as, as a software, or as like a software technology person who has been able to, pre like, not predict, but like jump on very early in some successful waves of technology, yeah. um, this has all the feels of that. Great. I think that's a very responsible and and also plausible way to summarize your intuitions on the matter. I mean, one of the reasons why I wanted to talk with you of all the people I was kind of coming across in my research was that, you know, you're one of these people who you do some public speaking, but you're not selling some sort of grand vision. You know, you're just experienced and you have expertise and you're uh, working hard on, you know, frontier blockchain 
problems uh but you're not you know you're not really like boosting any grand vision of the future in one way or another and i always find that to be actually usually the most plausible (laughs) uh worldview worldview on these sorts of like uh crazy possibilities so that's great that's a that's a good summary i wasn't looking by the way for any kind of like uh you know fancy or impressive uh diagnosis of the near future (laughs) that sounds very plausible and reasonable I, I, I can certainly try to give you a fancy and impressive diagnosis if you want. Well, if you feel compelled to at any point in this conversation, <laughs> feel free to. But I just wanted to clarify that right. I didn't bring you on here to to wow the world with some kind of crazy pitch or anything like that. So I, I, I appreciate your cool. – your, your, yeah, your, I'm not that guy. Yeah, no, it's good. I appreciate your kind of realistic and uh, modest intuitions. That's great. So I just wanted to get a sense of where kind of roughly in this. <laughs> that's that's funny, though, that you think it's modest, that it's the biggest thing since the web. <laughs> well, it is funny, though, isn't it? Because You know what I'm saying? Because yeah. that's like enormous. That's like the web changed the world, right? So I'm saying this is changing the world and it's going to change the world at that level of magnitude. Right. But with the degree of hype around this. Right. Exactly. <laughs> uh, it's like it seems so modest to say it's just as big as the web. <laughs> yeah, that's a that's a good point. Your view is quite bullish and it's quite extraordinary, but compared to what other people are saying, it's it seems quite measured. <laughs> yeah. All right. Sounds so, good. So okay, so um what I mean, what do you say then to the to the really educated and thoughtful naysayers? Like I was recently reading an article by I think it was Nuriel Rubini, a very you know, a very famous uh respected uh economics, you know, commentator. Uh, th- there are a lot of people who still think that blockchain is is all hype, and you know I think one of the some of the common things you you hear by people who have that belief is that it's basically just a ridiculously you know energy consuming database, and it takes too long, and basically all of the things that it does we already have cheaper, quicker, easier ways of doing, and there's no reason why all of the currently existing infrastructure would give way to this like totally different model that appears to have pretty substantial and perhaps unsurpassable kind of uh, technical limitations. I mean, what do you, what do you say to that perspective? Um, so I, it's not going to like replace like most of the technical infrastructure we currently have. Okay. Um, it's not, it, it, this is a this is a special purpose technology. It's not a general purpose technology like relational databases, uh, which are, you know, are kind of behind every like app or website that you see. Right. Um, it's not like in 10 years, Facebook, all of Facebook's data is going to be on a blockchain, right? There's, it's still going to be in probably fairly similar data stores to then that it's using today. Um, just probably, hundred times more data. <laughs> um, so blockchains are, are, so if someone's saying that like blockchain is going to like do something like that, I, I would agree with the naysayers. That that's not a thing that's going to happen. Cause this is um, not like, it's not just like, Oh, a new programming language has come out. It's going to take over all the programming languages because it's so much better. Mm. Um, this is just a completely different thing. Um, yeah, and and so it, it's going to be used in certain ways. Um, now, you, you did mention that it's energy inefficient, and that that's that's talking about the algorithm, the consensus algorithm that Bitcoin popularized, which is called proof of work, and it is very uh, energy intensive. 
um, and in certain, from a certain point of view, very inefficient um, and just like burns tons of electricity. That's not the only uh, consensus algorithm that's being used. And it's certainly not the only uh, algorithm that's being um, like worked on. And, and so with Ethereum, um, the kind of second biggest cryptocurrency, uh, they're, they're using proof of work. Um, it's not, it doesn't consume quite as much electricity as Bitcoin because Bitcoin's just super popular, obviously. Um, but they're, they're working on something called proof of stake, which doesn't require just like burning electricity in order to secure the blockchain. Um, it requires people to just risk money, risk their ether, which is the currency. Uh, and I'm not going to go into details on it. I'm certainly not an expert on it, but it's, it's a, it's a different way of doing it that, uh, is not totally proven yet, but, uh, I, I have high hopes that it's going to work and it's going to, um, be a lot more efficient. And I don't know if Bitcoin will ever be able to implement something like proof of stake to make their algorithm more efficient, but, uh, it's, it's an easy thing to look at and poke poke a hole in like why does it consume why, why do we have to consume as much energy as ireland in order to secure bitcoin transactions right, right. uh it's a great <laughs> question uh it's an interesting problem and but it, it's not inherent I see. like we can uh find other ways of securing I see. so you see the energy consumption problem as sort of an artifact of an early stage technological innovation that will probably get solved Correct. uh sooner or later Correct. I mean, and also like those who are like, oh, it's so inefficient and, and clunky and like, you know, just not as good as what we already have. Like that, that sounds like almost every technical innovation I've ever had. <laughs> True. Seen. Yeah. Like think about how bad cell phones were. Right. Right. Yeah. <laughs> right. And like, why would I, why would I take a picture with a cell phone? That's crazy. You know, and some, some like early adopters would take these crappy pictures with their cell phones. Um, and they were terrible or they do email on their little flip phones and stuff. Uh, and now we, you know, like, you know, it's, it's just, this is, it just takes time for these things to catch up. And right. uh, I, I feel like blockchain is one of those things that's going to be slow and, and inefficient at first, but the merits of the technology will bring it, will make it last and, to, and, and we'll keep making it better. There's great people working right. on this every okay. single day trying to trying to improve it improve it okay so that's interesting and something you said was that you think blockchain is not going to replace the currently existing infrastructure so you think it's just going to i mean it dep depends it depends what what infrastructure they're talking about i do think it will replace certain like payment infrastructures right. um yeah I, I i do i or not even replace it um I think it will exist. I think it will be a, another form of currency, and I think it will continue to grow in popularity. Okay, so slowly, I, I, I see its closest corollary, corollary is is Linux. Okay. So uh, and right, over the oh, I was going to say. So in other words, you think it'll be parallel to the currently existing infrastructure, and then it will kind of uh, slowly build and improve and take over some parts of the current infrastructure, but not like completely wholesale replace everything we currently have. Yeah. Yeah. I, Linux to me is the best like example that I know of. Um, I, you could watch Linux over the, during the nineties and the early two thousands, just 
it's it was free it was you know like hard to use mm-hmm. <laughs> it was but but it was secure very secure compared to a lot of windows and microsoft products um but and and there was just no stopping it like microsoft couldn't fight against free mm-hmm. or like and in this case like certain financial institutions will not be able to fight against a, a decentralized entity right the way it's the same way that linux was like how does microsoft like fight against software that's free and being written by people who aren't even getting paid for it right right <laughs> right it's just it's just a different set of rules so- and so it's just going to keep existing and growing. So maybe we could drill down a little bit on this because I would like to hear a little bit more about what parts of the current infrastructure you think will likely be replaced and which won't. So, you know, examples I've heard of are like you could easily imagine an Uber alternative that's has no centralized corporate structure, but is just an Uber that functions on the blockchain. Is that like a plausible example mm-hmm. of something that would currently be replaced? It's- it's definitely technically plausible. There's a lot of like you, the easiest one actually is eBay. Right. Okay. Um, but it, but there's this, there's this, but there's a problem of motivation. Mm. Um, like even though so many of different things, anywhere where there's a middleman who's providing like a certain level of, um, yeah, who's just going to like take your money and then pay this other person. And there's this like gap of time <laughs> where they're holding the money and everyone has to trust that they're going to like uh, do the right thing. And, and eBay does the same thing. E- eBay also has to deal with the fact that like money's changing hands and goods. Mm-hmm. Um, and everybody's now ha- and their brands now represent a lot of trust in that kind of experience. Right. So even though it's technically possible to do a decentralized ebay or a decentralized uber um you know like there's a certain uh like just capitalist motivation Mm -hmm. that leads us to building things like that at that scale and i think it's going to be difficult to like on that side of things on the like all right who is going to get so fired up about building a decentralized uber uh to who's going to get so fired up to build that and like work on that. It's going to take a whole community of people as opposed to the traditional, like, you know, startup founders and venture capitalists that come around them and everybody's incentive in in there that it's all coordinated around uh, either greed or just financial motivation, I guess you could say. Uh, And that kind of aligns people in a certain way. It's not great in a lot of ways. It's really bad in certain ways. Uh, but it also, but it is very motivating. Sure. Yeah. That's so, a good point. Yeah. So I, I don't know how often we're going to see like big established companies like that. Um, technic like software and service companies, uh, or software enabled service companies be get disrupted. I, I it's going to be a while. Um, I think, I, but the interesting thing is similar to Linux, if you can build a protocol, uh, it, that provides an incentive uh, because now protocols on like software protocols now have like tokens and these tokens get traded on like in, in like crypto exchanges. And, uh, and so it's possible now to uh, create an Uber, like we were saying, like a decentralized Uber 
and have everybody use and hold these tokens and these tokens can go up in value. And so that conceptually, that's, that's really interesting. I just, I still feel like there's this like coordination problem. Uh, Even though everyone's going to have some similar uh, motivation in terms of this, we want this protocol to exist. Um, I don't know. I, I just, there, there's, there's certainly a, a, like a, v, a venture capital and like startup machine that 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 yes. works um, to, to right. some extent, and I I don't think we've seen that yet in the crypto. I space. think that's a really good point. So it's like oh. the people that could currently potentially make a totally decentralized Uber on the blockchain do not have the incentives to defect from the current status quo ante to do that sort of thing yet potentially yeah i yeah that 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 might be right um or um you know the people that have raised i mean it is it's been amazing how much money has been raised in blockchain startups i guess you could say uh or teams that have put together like initial coin offerings and raised like over a hundred million dollars um it's amazing it's amazing they're able to do that but i think they're bogged down in two things right now in terms of executing on their vision. One is dealing with regulators <laughs> who are trying to catch up to all this craziness and B, like it's probably not exactly the same people who like you, like right. you just said, like already have expertise and, and know how to do this. It's a new group of people who are going to probably make some of the same old mistakes in building businesses and, right. and stuff. Um, so is it a fair, is it a fair wager so, in your view that, as the technical tools become more accessible, that will allow new players to enter the field who perhaps are not so invested in the status quo ante. You know, so like my intu- my intuition here is that like I, for instance, I'm a kind of neophyte programmer. I could never, I could never, you know, be the one, <laughs> you know, to make the uh, blockchain Uber to overthrow the capitalist Uber. But that's in large part because the expertise required to set these things up currently is quite a high bar. But as as the tools and the, the, the technical possibilities become increasingly available to people through kind of uh, more user-friendly uh, versions, is it possible that as that required bar of expertise kind of lowers, that that would be perhaps one of the, one of the radical um, dynamics? I think that's definitely going to be, I think there will be uh, an explosion of, and I think that's currently happening actually, uh, of, of people who understand how to work with blockchain mm-hmm. technology. Um, tooling is getting better. I mean, it was just horrendous three years ago when I started looking at it, um, or at least horrendous compared to what I'm used to as a web developer, which has extremely mature uh like tooling at this point after decades. Um, so I do, I, and, and we saw that with the web, like at the first, everybody had to write their programs on the web in like right. C++ and then, and then Perl got popular and, and that's what Amazon was written in at first. And, and, and it just, there was an explosion. And that was my first language was Perl, which is a kind of a, a gnarly little language, but, um, but really productive. And I don't, you don't have to write very much code in order to get stuff done, which was, made people like me, a self-taught programmer, like capable of actually doing stuff. Right. Like you were just saying, like I was a neophyte HTML programmer who 
learn just enough Perl to, you know, right. get a job. Um, and then went on from there. But um, I think I, going back to the Uber thing, though, I think, you know, it, like creating a decentralized Uber, it, the, the, the biggest challenge with that is definitely not technical, at, not even close. <laughs> right. Because it's it's so hard to create a two like to, to create like a two sided market where you have to have a critical mass of drivers and a critical mass of riders. And that is like, it just doesn't happen because someone has an idea. It happens because someone somehow finds a way of executing on that and figuring out through right place, right time, working their butt off, like whatever, knowing the right people, lobbying, like side deals, bribing. (laughs) I don't know what it takes to create a two-sided market like that, but they've done it. And it is going to be so hard to disrupt it. I think they're going to have to disrupt themselves, like with autonomous vehicles. I, mean, I know they're working on that, but like, um, I, it'll be really interesting to see, you know, what happens, right? And because of the, tr- the brand name, and you know, it's the same thing. It's going to be. It would be so technically relatively easy to to re- recreate Facebook in a decentralized way, but it's so hard to get hundreds of millions of people right. <laughs> to migrate to something new, like, because it has to be that that's the thing. People don't change technologies or, or change. I should say like change a service unless it's like 10 times as good as what right. they're already using. If it's only like, if it's the same and just as decentralized or if it's twice as good and decentralized, nobody's. So of course care. we're just talking about Uber as one example to fix our ideas on. Um, I guess you would sure. have to be, uh, equally bearish about claims about how you know the entire financial industry and banking and all of that is going to be replaced. I guess you would tell a similar story that there's just so much kind of invested in the current banking and financial infrastructure that we're very, very far from that being displaced or replaced by blockchain. Um, I think in the banking, I, so I'm not an expert on any of this stuff. You know, of these industries, I'm not like in these verticals, I'm not an expert. Um, I definitely know about the kind of horizontal aspect of the, the blockchain. But, um, you know, I, from what I've seen, I mean, banks picked up on blockchain quickly. Um, and, I, and I think one of the things they like about it, and I think they are replacing certain aspects of their internal systems with blockchains, um, not public blockchains. Um, so there's different ways of using this technology similar to the way that people use web technology, right? There's internet, there's the internet, the public internet, and there's intranets that like, you know, universities or, or, or uh, banks or, you know, businesses or whatever use. And it's just their private internet, basically. Um, so, and it's called an intranet. And you can do the same thing with blockchains where you have, we have our big public blockchains like Bitcoin mm-hmm. and Ethereum. And we have private blockchains that the businesses can run they, they use this basically the same technology, but it's just done privately. And the nice thing about using technology like um, Ethereum, for instance, privately is like, uh, I mean, there's there's some downsides to doing it privately. It's like obviously centralized, not decentralized in that case. But there's a lot of properties of blockchains that are just fundamentally secure mm-hmm. compared to other, uh, like other traditional, like, I don't know, stuff we've used in the past to uh, do like financial ledgers 
or just databases. And, and in certain cases, a blockchain just fits up the problem space of financial transactions, like way better than what's been built before. Right. Right. Um, so, so, so like, you know, there's definitely the, the very early people into Bitcoin, I'm sure had and still have a vision of the future of like just operating without a without not that the financial institutions will disappear necessarily, but that they don't have to interact right. with them. Right. They, they can just like operate, uh, you know, in a, in a world where everything, they can just buy and sell things with cryptocurrencies and, and take the, the kind of government fiat currencies out of the picture or at least out of their, right, like, but their you're, lives. You're not sure how much that's um, going to take off as a kind of popular uh, replacement of normal money. Yeah, it, it's it's kind of a, I don't know, it goes back to that like motivation thing. Like businesses are going to need to feel a certain motivation to to take a new kind of currency. They had to, you can go back to the adoption of Visa, mm -hmm. right, as a okay. payment right. method decades ago. And like, that's a really fascinating story, by the way. It was a book called Birth of the Chaotic Age, which I just found absolutely okay, cool. fascinating. Um, but uh, yeah, you can go back to like, wh why did companies and businesses like adopt Visa back in the day? And at some point, it just became totally prevalent. And, and I, I can't regurgitate sure. why they did that. But obviously, they felt a strong motivation to do that because at some point, basically, everybody did it. And certainly we haven't reached a point where anybody is feeling that motivated to uh, adopt any cryptocurrency the way that they adopted Visa. But there's thousands and thousands of very smart people working on making that right. a reality. Sure. And that, that's what I've seen in the last year and a half or so as a lot more money has flowed into the crypto space. Uh, you know, I've seen a lot of very bright people switch from working on like how to get people to click on ads to how to get <laughs> us to like reinvent our payment infrastructure or financial systems. It's, I think it's, it's invigorating to a lot of people who enjoy hard problems because they can work on something a little bit more meaningful than I think we were. Okay. Five fascinating. Years ago. Dave, I want to ask you about something you said previously, which is this phenomenon in which different types of organizations can tokenize to kind of catalyze various different types of projects and goals. You mentioned it previously as mm -hmm. a possible scenario in which perhaps some sort of alternative to Uber arises and then they tokenize. And if the value goes up right. for that token, that could send a signal that this is really kind of taking off and it could grow from there. I want to ask you a little bit more about how that works and the prospects of tokenizing for yeah launching or catalyzing various types of projects because this is where my intuitions start to kind of trail off i think that i kind of understand it but only at a very simple basic way and i'm not sure uh, if it's correct so maybe i'll if, if you don't mind i'll kind of ask you a, a slightly more extended question and you can just tell me if i'm mistaken or or what basically i mean sure. it seems to me as someone who's interested in social movements and different types of radical politics and, and things like that. It seems to me that blockchain sort of offers and precisely this kind of this, this tokenization opportunity. It seems like any, is it fair to say that any group of people with any goal, uh, whatever the goal might be, can basically kind of tokenize that goal? Um, because I, I've read a lot about 
for instance, you see like um, curation uh, projects, for instance, where a community can basically leverage the blockchain to, as a decentralized mass, kind of determine which among various suggestions or items is most valuable to that community. So it seems to me like a more general prospect of groups being able to honestly and accurately kind of converge on uh, certain certain optimal uh, shared goals. And, and those goals are potentially arbitrary. So you could have a social group that's really interested in maybe like left-wing ideals and maybe a totally different group that's totally interested in right-wing ideals. And they can, it, it seems like what, what all of this suggests is that blockchain is this kind of like flexible technology that will allow groups to catalyze themselves along arbitrary like value criteria so long as the group ha- shares those values. Am, is that, am I understanding this correctly? Or maybe you could just uh, respond to that however you think is most intelligent. Sure. I'll try. Um, yeah, it's a, it's a, it's an interesting concept, this tokenizing. Um, what, you know, this is, this is definitely all possible with basically any any blockchain to, to some extent, but it, ex, it exploded in 2017 um, because certain standards um, were adopted in the Ethereum community. Um, and and uh, people, like you said, are able to, you, you in Ethereum, it, Ethereum has these concepts of right. smart contracts, which are uh, a fancy way of saying a computer program um that is deployed to a blockchain and uh that's a powerful and strange thing to have put a program on a blockchain because uh a program on a blockchain means one thing that one thing about blockchains is they're immutable they cannot be changed in the sense of they can't change the past so obviously they're constantly changing as new transactions are coming in and updating ledgers and stuff and data is flowing around but uh, in a typical software situation, you deploy some code, and if it has a bug, uh, you can deploy some more code and it fix and you fix it. Or you can deploy some code and earn a bunch of people's trust, and then you can change the code and like take advantage of right. their trust, <laughs> right? And and the beautiful thing about immutable programs on the blockchain is if you, you know, of course, if it hopefully doesn't have a bug. Um, and certainly they do have bugs sometimes and we have to figure out how to deal with that. But, um, uh, but if you do everything right, uh, and you do it in a kind of a decentralized way, these, um, these smart contracts can run and everyone can see what they're supposed to do and how they work. And it, Mm -hmm. we call that a protocol. Uh, and, and, and so you don't even have to trust the people who wrote it or the, or a company, you just have to look at the, the way it works. And you and it just creates this what we call this trustless environment where we just kind of control, but we do trust that the blockchain works, right. um, and we and, and the cryptography kind of proves it. Uh, and that, I, <laughs> I'm waving my hands right now, uh, <laughs> but uh, to go back to tokens, like so, these smart contracts basically uh, some of these smart contracts, what they do is they uh, they tokenize a protocol. Uh, they, they a, a certain set of people have come up with something they want to see in the world, something they want to have happen, and um, 
they're going to use a token as a coordination device, right? Basically, uh, so like so, going back to Uber, if we were to create a decentralized Uber, we would not be using we would not be using U.S. dollars uh, at the at the lowest level, I guess you could say, as the way that people are transacting. They're going to use probably the like <laughs> Duber token. That's the decentralized Uber. I just nice. trademarked that, by the way, about 15 seconds ago. I just got the domain name bucks. right now. Um, <laughs> I'm a branding expert. Um, so yeah, you're going to use your like Duber tokens to to do that. And uh, I, I'm not an economist, uh, and we're learning all sorts of things about how to create token economics correctly. Um, I'm sure a very high percentage of them will go to zero um, and it'll all be an interesting experiment and a few will win. Just like if you think 20 years ago or more, more than 20, 20 years ago about like all the different search engines that existed and then one right. of them kind of won, right? It definitely wasn't one of the first ones. Uh, so I think this a similar thing will happen. We're going to learn about token economics or crypto economics over the next two to five years, and it's, it's right. going to be wild. So maybe maybe to fix ideas a little bit more, maybe my question was a little uh, too open ended to be tractable, to be too tractable potentially. No, I don't everything know. you I said was very around. good. Go ahead. I just I'm I'm reflecting that maybe my the way I posed the question was impossibly intractable. Maybe. If you'll excuse my kind of total insanity and stupidity, uh, you can entertain me in a random kind of thought experiment to maybe help us pin, pin some of this stuff down a little bit more. So I guess what I'm imagining is, or it seems to me that this sort of technology might enable new forms of basically political organization. Um, right. And so, I mean, I've, I've definitely seen a lot of futurists talk about how blockchain might, you know, affect voting systems. And in fact, voting systems, I think, is one of the kind of classic textbook examples of the, the cool kinds of stuff you can do with smart contracts. So um, while a lot of theorists and futurists talk about this kind of, I think, in terms of, you know, imagining how like a democratic, you know, national electoral system could maybe be, you know, rewired or improved, I'm, I'm more personally interested in kind of small scale experiments. So I'm sure you're aware there's a kind of longstanding tradition in radical politics of like, you know, a bunch of people get together. They want to kind of create a different way of living together. Let's say it's like anti-capitalist or communist or whatever you want to call it. And so you kind of uh, you get a bunch of people with similar ideals together and maybe you you squat a, a building and, uh, you know, some some uh, mm -hmm. some part of town and you basically try to kind of create uh, a mini society with different norms and different values. And everyone says, you know, let's try to treat each other on alternative criteria, a criteria that, you know, maybe the economic capitalist market doesn't value. But if we all want to agree to value certain things more than, let's say, how much money you bring in, we can kind of agree to assign rewards to each other based on our alternative kind of anti-capitalist, anti-exploitative you know, um, exploitative ideology or something like that. Now, this sort of thing has always failed uh, in history. And, I, and part of the reason, I think, is because you see very recurring pitfalls. Like, um, 
infamously people you know don't do their dishes as it were <laughs> you know there's a lot of there's slacking and then there's also <laughs> the recurring pitfalls of like people selling out so sometimes these things when they actually do work someone wants to cash in for you know uh they, they basically become capitalists right and they kind of uh sell out the ideals so just kind of floating these as as common mm-hmm. recurring pitfalls in radical social you know creative social experiments um either slacking or shirking or or selling out being another one it my senses and this again this is just my totally ignorant intuitions but my intuitions are that blockchain potentially provides as you said a trustless uh technology to basically allow a group with shared ideals to uh basically become self-enforcing I mean, isn't that basically what the blockchain offers? It enforces this decentralized self-enforcing technology. And it just seems to me by intuition alone that somehow you could do something like tokenize, but for a small scale group to kind of lock itself into a certain kind of shared creative social project. I think, you know, so I'm a student of psychology and I love sociology and I like so, like a little societies like that are fascinating to me. I don't have a lot of personal experience with them, but um, I, I do think that a lot of those issues will not be solved by any technology. You know, the, they're um, kind of like, I don't know. It, it, you know, I, you said that's kind of never worked out. I assume some societies, some of the societies we know today probably did start in some, you know, kind of, way that way in that like like in a kind of fringe sort of way but uh but it's like very you know you know it's 99.9 percent failure rate or whatever um so the a really basic token smart contract would is like is at this point fairly easy to make it's copy and paste and deploy and um you do have to know some things but it's there's you know tens of thousands of people that know how to do that at this point um and and it's and it's it's a matter of reading tutorials at this point in in order to learn how to deploy a very basic token with really no logic to it other than like now we have a token and we're gonna agree that if you do x y and z then like the then the owner of this contract is going to give you some tokens maybe maybe the way you would start a society like that is like Okay, the, the twenty of us are agreeing that we're we're doing this thing. We're going to create this token, and we're going to divide it evenly between the twenty of us. And that's relatively easy to do. Um, and you could you could have nothing else like online or anything, and just say, now now the game begins, and like we get to decide it, not on the blockchain, just like amongst ourselves locally here. But we're going to use this token as our currency because because screw USD or screw the Euro or whatever, we're going to have our own token and, and uh, we're going to grow our own food and we're going to be off the grid and we're not going to interact with the, uh, um, you know, traditional or like any existing financial institutions. Um, You know, I think that'll probably potentially fail for all the reasons that it usually fails, but that didn't exist before the ability to like, instead of, uh, instead of having to like create their own like seashell currency or like leather belts currency, they can create, or or like their own paper currency. Now they can create a digital currency and potentially they could spread out 
over over geographic spaces and still use their tokens with each other or maybe it would allow their society to spread more easily because now they don't have to print money uh you know and and distribute that money all over the whatever countryside now they can just use their cell phones um which of course interact with mainstream society and (laughs) that's a problem for this little society but uh but anyway i I do think so the next level beyond that though you could just have tokens that you could then transfer around to each other for doing things for each other and use it as a as a a base currency um which you could you know you could do the same thing with with printing your own paper money but this is just more you know it's just digitally secure and digital period uh but you could start encoding rules and practices and putting voting and making decisions on the blockchain by using smart contracts that uh, allow you to do that. Like voting is tokens and voting are basically the two simplest and most basic things you can do. And I think that's, it's interesting that Vitalik Buterin, the inventor of Ethereum, uh, he was very young, uh, early or I shouldn't say he, he was very young. He was a teenager growing up with Bitcoin uh, and uh, lived in a society like you're describing for a little while. And that's when he invented Ethereum was when he was working on Bitcoin and trying to figure out how to use it in interesting and novel ways to solve like different problems than simply transferring value around. Um, and he was living in a society like that and invented Ethereum there. Right. Um, so there's kind of that, there's a lot of history of of that those that kind of thinking when it comes to blockchains. So, like, could a group make a token and then write smart contracts that are like uniquely tailored to that group, like rewarding certain behaviors that they like and then uh, punishing monetarily behaviors that they don't like? Like, can a smart contract do that? Um, I mean, the behavior would have to be like somehow um, it, it, it couldn't be like you did something like jaywalked and get somehow um, penalized on the blockchain, <laughs> right? Uh, like uh there would still have to be some central i mean you could do that in the sense of like you could assign certain people to be the police of your little society and give them special rights uh, into the smart contracts to like take people's money you could totally do that that's now you're starting to like centralize power on the blockchain which kind of works against it like it's at some point as you centralize power or like only this person is allowed to do this thing on this smart contract and it's like and it's more than everyone else can can do it's like why the heck are you using a blockchain <laughs> right why, why why not you just use technology that's faster easier to use and like all you know like all this stuff is kind of difficult to work with but we do it because it has this special property of being decentralized unstoppable uncensorable immutable um and that's that's the reason why you'd use it. And if you're using it in a way that works against any of that stuff, then it's like, what what have you done? You're probably just doing it for the hype and to get some extra money from investors <laughs> or something. Well, the reason I'm thinking about it is because the way that I see it is that a lot of groups with ideals start off with shared ideals, 
but what goes wrong is precisely the human error and the 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 cognitive biases the socio-political uh psychological biases in which what happens basically is after a group decides to launch off on some shared ideal under the under the hood kind of illicitly and sometimes even subconsciously stuff starts getting perverted by basically people not really doing what they promised they would do i mean in Mm. some sense that's how you can understand the the toy examples i gave before of shirking or slacking as a common problem in you know collective uh enterprises and selling out also as a kind of recurring problem in kind of anti-capitalist social efforts or whatever what they what those things all have in common is it's basically forms of lying it's it's forms of people not doing what they originally agreed to do and so i guess what i what i find interesting about the blockchain is precisely what you were saying is it's it's irreversible it's um sort of like really cold and absolute in its in its judgments in a way that might be a a a valuable corrective to all types of like you know small group socio-psychological um corruptions does that make sense yeah to go back to your question though like what what kind of like what can you do what can't you do on a blockchain um it's you know it's going to be good for things that I, I think I think it's good for decision making, okay. um, and like where and it, it has to be somewhat <laughs> objective. Like you're obviously going to have like either online discussions using traditional software or face to face discussions using coffee shop technology. Um, <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, it, but when it comes down to making the decision and voting on or, or like kind of yeah like like ca- casting your vote on how to how to proceed um that sort of, this sort of thing is very good and you could even make decisions or, or maybe somebody's reputation or like good standing as a citizen in the society is a decision that's being made and that's certainly could be done um you know in terms of like uh, making a decision about whether somebody's like living up to the norms of society. Of course, then you have problems of like mob mentality or like uh, just because the majority thinks something doesn't necessarily make it right. 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 So is there a way that you could basically rein in the majoritarian mob mentality by smart contracts that basically inscribe Absolutely. rules? Absolutely. So tell me about that. So the beautiful- the beautiful thing, I mean, like, yeah, I mean, the the beautiful thing about this, is, which is one of the reasons I think it's going to win in a sense. When I say win, I just mean survive. Yeah. Um, and and be a, of an important part of our lives for the rest of my life. Um, is is the fact that uh, there's this concept of Turing completeness. Hmm. So a, a programming language is called Turing complete. So Alan Turing is the uh, I don't, I'll probably say it wrong, but um, yeah, in, inventor of the computer. I mean, there's many inventors of computers, right. but like uh, he's a, he's famous, he's a famous mathematician and, um, and crypto cryptographer right. from world war two. Yep. Anyhow, um, Turing completeness is this property of, of, of when a programming language can basically do anything. So I'm self-taught 
if I was a computer science grad, I'd probably say much more intelligent things right now. But for me, as a software engineer of 20 years, when I hear Turing complete, that means, oh, so we can do literally anything you could imagine. Mm. It's just a matter of time and money in order to get it to do that thing. Mm. So all the crazy stuff that computers do today uh, and software, really not computers, the software is doing um, on the computer. So I don't know if anyone's watched like the Google Assistant video that just happened. Uh, yeah, where yeah, I like, saw that. yeah, like these computers are now making phone calls as impersonating people and they're doing an amazing job at it. And it's really scary, uh, and impressive <laughs> at the same time. Um, you know, that, that, that's an example of like, yep, there's just, you know, there's just Turing complete programming languages under there and, and, and a ton of data and a lot of data science, but it's all just possible because of this property that. Uh, we call Turing completeness and Ethereum, and now and now probably many or at least several other uh, blockchains have Turing complete programming languages on top of them, and so you can you can uh, anything you can imagine, any rules, societal like norms you want to encode on the blockchain, you you can do it. There's nothing stopping you other than time and money, right? Basically, right. Um, so that's what just drives people bonkers with happiness or like, or imagination, because just the way that the Google assistant is just like blowing people's minds, like that, that same sort of like unending possibilities, um, exist on the blockchain. Right. So that's actually a really good example even to connect to to what we're talking about because for instance here's a hypothetical you can imagine a bunch of people get together in like an intentional community they buy a house or squat a house or something and so imagine you know 20 mm-hmm. people living in a compound you wire you wire up the compound with speakers everywhere like you know Google assistants or Alexas or whatever and you basically write smart contracts everyone you tokenize the community and you write smart contracts to the effect that um, you could have the the speakers continuously monitoring everything that everyone says everywhere. <laughs> oh, and no. for instance, every time someone tells oh, a lie, they okay. get uh, penalized some some agreed monetary amount. Um, <laughs> well, here's the here's the thing, Dave. I mean, you that is admittedly horrifying when you think about it. When you think about it. When you think about it as a state, like a government forcing that on a large number of people who don't want that, yeah. that's horrifying. But let's say you have a small number of people who um, really care about each other. And the one thing they happen to have in common is they really value honesty. <laughs> you know, you can imagine that. Uh, suddenly, from a small scale, bottom up perspective, this sort of engineering, this type of community is suddenly much less horrifying. And it's just, groups of people achieving their mm-hmm. shared goals using technology to uh, basically facilitate and coordinate it. So um, I agree it sounds kind of dystopian and horrifying, but I'm, I'm thinking about it from a much more kind of humane perspective, I think. Yeah, I, I, it just seems uh, – I, I just feel like the word lie is uh, sometimes very objective right? and like easy, easy to detect. Right. It's like, is it raining outside? You know, No. Haha, <laughs> like fooled you. Like you just went outside and got wet. Like, so that was a lie. Uh, but like, I feel like lies that have like as a society, 
or family or whatever, like starts becoming more complex. Of course, yeah. Uh, or, you know, it's just like lies are just a matter of perspective. Right. Um, but okay, but hear me out, though. Like, you could imagine that when Google Assistant is sufficiently sophisticated, and smart contracts are su- sufficiently well written, you could, you could basically inscribe in the smart contracts, uh, precisely what you're describing. So like only certain classes of linguistic statement would be subject and they would only be subject to particular forms of, of truth testing that like the Google, the Google assistant would be capable of doing. So, you know, the, 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 yeah. So the difficult kind of border cases that you're talking about that are complex, we would just write the smart contract to say, don't judge these only judge this type of thing. And everyone can read the smart contract and everyone's happy with it and everyone agrees to it, that would be possible? Yeah, yeah, if someone's like, if if someone asks another person in the compound, hey, how many tokens do you have? And the person's like, oh, I've got like a thousand of them. And then (laughs) the system knows they only have a hundred. Right. You know, like, you know, they're gonna get dinged. But like, if one person asks, do you love me? And the other person's like, yes. Like, you know, like, that's not testable. Unless you have sensing technology, right? Like heart rate, you could you could integrate like heart rate data, stuff like that, maybe, actually, <laughs> right? Or no? I don't know if I ever want to live with you. <laughs> Fair enough. Fair enough. <laughs> Fair enough. No, are you, uh, sure. I mean, yeah, if you want to start, a, uh, that's, it's just, this is starting to sound scary, but um, maybe, I, maybe I just lie all the time and I'm really scared. <laughs> no, no. Um, no, I'm with you that a lot of this sounds horrifying, but. Um, I'm just, I'm just trying to think through where this is headed. Yeah. Yeah. No, you find you're looking for the edge cases and like how far it can go. And, um, I do think everything you're describing is, is possible. Um, interesting. Okay. Fascinating. So that was enough, uh, kind of harebrained pie in the sky thinking, and thank you for entertaining my, my crazy speculations. Um, maybe we can bring it down a little bit back to earth more now uh specifically with reference to your you're well known uh as an educator actually so i was thinking maybe i could pick your brain a little bit about you know how people that are interested in this stuff but maybe not super well trained in in all of it might be able to uh you know improve their their capacities to play with these types of things so you know, I mean, just using myself as an example, not for the personal selfish reason of wanting some tips and advice, but on the wager that a lot of my listeners are probably kind of similar to me in the sense that, you know, I'm fairly smart dude. I've done a little bit of programming. I, I teach myself stuff. I'm comfortable kind of like learning code from tutorials, even though I don't have any fancy training and I'm not especially good at any programming. But, you know, I have a little bit of uh, know-how about, you know, writing scripts and running them and stuff like that. With that kind of very basic, um, almost zero expertise in any programming, but the basic kind of self-starting ability to to teach yourself stuff, um, what do you advise for people like me who are very excited by these possibilities and want to do their best to start playing around making things? Like, where? How do you how do you advise on that? Um. Yeah, so I, I would say a couple of things. First is um, it's important to know but uh, to know the programming language JavaScript. This is the language that runs in your browser. 
uh, like your, uh, whether you're on your phone or you're on your laptop or your desktop computer. Uh, so JavaScript is going to be around uh, as a programming language for our entire lives. It's never going to die. <laughs> That's just my little prediction uh, because it's on the browser. So it's like in terms of like a language that is running on more little computers or big computers in the world, I can't imagine there's anything more popular than JavaScript in terms of um, just programs or, or code running out there. You know, right now I'm this this conversation is being recorded, and I'm watching a, the web browser. You know, like tell me tell me how time how much time has ticked. You know, as we've been having this conversation, and that's all being managed by JavaScript. And uh, not surprisingly, the most popular language for interacting with blockchains is JavaScript. Um, and so it's really important to know that language. The good news is that language has been around for decades. There's more tutorials on how to learn it than you could ever imagine. <laughs> um, and so uh, that's a very good thing. Uh, the next step is learning, uh, in my opinion, is learning a language called Solidity, which is the most popular smart contracting language or I should say the most popular smart contract language um, in the world right now. And it's a quirky little language. It looks a little bit like JavaScript, uh, but uh, it's very different in a lot of ways. Um, and the cool thing is, as of the last six months or so, or the last year, is there has been an explosion of documentation, books, um, tutorials on how to work with smart contracts. And the one I get the most um, kind of positive uh, recommendations for is a tutorial called Crypto Zombies, uh, built by a very promising company called Loom, L-O-O-M. Uh, but Crypto Zombies takes you through building. I haven't even, I haven't done it myself because I learned about Solidity long before Crypto Zombies was around. But as I have friends and and people who come to me asking the same question, like how do I get started? I, I say, go try Crypto Zombies and tell me what you think. And they say, that was great. Um, so it's, you know, it's a fun, it's, 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 uh, it's illustrated. It's, you know, it's, you're building a game about zombies. Um, and so it's kind of engaging in, in a lot of different levels. Um, okay, that's yeah. great. That's great advice. So what now for someone like me, who's very interested in these types of things. And as I've kind of shared with you, I have a particular kind of, I guess you could call it sort of anarchist leaning mm -hmm. kind of imagination. I'm interested in, you know, building built, potentially building stuff that can connect people in novel kind of radical ways. Yeah. I mean, do you have any kind of uh, advice on like what types of projects could someone like me feasibly maybe aim to, to, to work on like within, you know, like a, a year or two of kind of like practice and playing around, like what types of things, could I maybe do, or maybe nothing? Maybe it's just not at that level of accessibility. Oh, I think you could definitely, um, if you are, if you already have written some programs. Um, the 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 cool thing about smart contracts is it's not like a ton of code. You know, it's like it's not like you're writing Windows. You know, with like millions and millions and millions of lines of code. You're writing uh, hundreds of lines of code or dozens of lines of code. It just has to be perfect 
<laughs> uh, it doesn't have to be perfect the first time you use it, but like once you start your society, uh, you don't want to have to like redeploy your code with like after you fix something and like migrate all your tokens or like invalidate all your tokens and start over. Um, so there's it's a it's a unique sort of thing where like it's not a, necessarily a lot of code to write, but um, yeah, it just has this con this, this this feeling of like all right, you're launching this code into space and it can never change. Um, and the whole the whole like getting everything set up sort of on the blockchain and getting all of that functionality kind of set up that's not like uh, too difficult. Um, you know, if, if I, I would imagine for somebody like yourself, it, you could get a smart contract deployed on the public blockchain uh, at least within weeks of starting to work on it. Something. Yes. Yeah. Now, yeah, for sure. I mean, like there's just now, I mean, when I first started programming and reading books and like, I would just write the code down that they told me to write. Right. And I would do all the things they told me and then it would work. Now, do I understand what I just did? <laughs> uh, not really, but I understood it better than I used to, you know, and so it, it takes a multiple passes at it to like, start really understanding what's going on and like watching things break and, and debugging things and like, you know, trying to figure out what's, what's going on. And then you start building a mental model of how it's all working and that takes longer. Um, but, uh, but yeah, there's, there's enough help out there. And I think if you followed, I imagine if you followed the crypto zombies tutorials, you'd end up deploying some code. I don't, if not to like a test blockchain or, um, or like a public blockchain, at least to like, uh, like a kind of, private fake blockchain that you run on your laptop um so yeah no it, it's 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 daunting like in a lot of different ways but the the it's becoming more and more accessible which is awesome and for somebody like yourself like people get into this and they start getting, getting their hands dirty and then all of a sudden they've got this big idea and they write a white paper <laughs> and it's like and they're trying and they're getting feedback and they're like coming you know and like that's this has just happened like thousands of times over at this point of like people catching on to what's possible having their idea and like in, you know and then putting it out into the world and and that's often when they they do try to come up with a token to then they can go and like use that token as a way of raising some capital to keep working on it uh, in your case it probably wouldn't be quite like that it'd be more of a self-organized community well that's super interesting those are pretty encouraging comments about you know the the relative accessibility of these sorts of projects so i'm definitely encouraged by that and uh intrigued by that so that's that's positive news hey dave if you're not in a rush to go i know you're very busy can i maybe ask you one more question if you don't mind sure i know we just kind of yeah, hit that I've, I've, I've got some more time Okay, cool. I don't want to overtax you or anything. Um, so I guess my final, this has been really awesome, really super interesting. And it's helped clarify a lot of things for me. Um, and it's made some of my, it has kind of uh, reined in some of my maybe more excessive imaginations, but it's also um, kind of confirmed for me that some of my intuitions are, you know, potentially on a promising track. So that's always a useful thing to, to receive. So the last thing I want to kind of ask you about specifically is, how you see blockchain maybe affecting uh, like creative markets, uh, you know, independent content producers and things like that. 
um, as I'm sure you're aware, we're in quite a renaissance right now of just independent intellectuals and artists and all kinds of creative uh, cultural, yeah, just creators um, doing all kinds of interesting things on the internet and being funded by their fans and their audience directly. And so I'm kind of a more of a traditional academic at, at the moment, but I do a lot of blogging and I do a lot of, you know, just creative autonomous work on the internet. So I, I watch the, you know, evolving trends of, you know, the so-called content creators with, with a watchful eye, because, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm intrigued at, at the possibilities for how, yeah, just how uh, markets for, for intellectually creative work might evolve. Uh, so you often hear people mention blockchain in this connection, like you imagine something like a Patreon, but, you know, replaced with a decentralized blockchain version or, um, you know, individual individual content creators, like uh, basically tokenizing themselves and their work or something like that. Are you, are do you think about these possibilities at all? I don't think about it a ton. I, I yeah, I honestly, I mean, I, I think it's amazing watching Patreon, like, like people being able to uh, be like independent thought leaders or, you know, contributors in lots of different avenues through Patreon, uh, just through this, like the, the sheer kind of, I don't know, like popularity or, um, you know, excitement that they're generating in people as opposed to like probably what people used to have to do, I guess, which is just like have a company that hires you and like you're going to, they're going to enjoy your, your popularity, but they're probably also going to have some influence over your ideas because uh, they're a company. Um, so I do think that that phenomenon will flourish with crypto currencies. Um, Again, Patreon hit, you know, kind of grew gradually. It seems like it's it's doing really well right now. Um, something I don't think just simply taking Patreon and making it decentralized is going to really have any effect um, because Patreon's good enough. You know, it's like it's something's going to have to be like totally different, or Patreon's going to have to get like hacked or something. I don't know. Something is going to have to happen for that for that to get disrupted. But um. But, um, yeah, I don't, I don't have any like big, I like big thoughts about that. I haven't put it, but it's, it is, uh, it is very cool watching even in, like, especially even in like the cryptocurrency community, like certain people, um, uh, specifically I'm thinking of Andreas Antonopoulos, um, who is just like my favorite kind of speaker and author in, in, in this space. Uh, he just travels the world. Uh, is a total nomad and gets to uh, be very independent with his thoughts and gets funded by his like by his by the community basically by the people that appreciate what he's doing and there's a lot of them. Um, so right, uh, right, yeah. So could someone could someone like tokenize their their personal intellectual creative project or something like that. Like you could imagine like a blogger who has fans or something like that, uh, kind of says, I'm making, I'm making a token. It represents like, uh, I'll give it to all, uh, like, I, I don't know exactly how it would work, but it's like 
a way for fans to invest in someone as a creator? Is that possible? Uh, yeah, yeah, you could do that. I mean, so the, actually, the first thing that makes me think of was um, something that Vitalik, the inventor of Ethereum, used to do long ago, um, where he would write an article about Bitcoin, and he would tell the community, "Hey, as soon as like this much Bitcoin hits this address, um, you know, this." Or I think he would like give a blurb or an abstract, or maybe half the article or whatever it was. Some some teaser and put it out there and say, Hey, as soon as this, this address has this much, uh, Bitcoin in it, then the rest of it will unlock. Oh, okay. Um, and, and so that, I thought that was a really interesting way of, of, of getting paid as, as a blogger. Ooh, that's fascinating. So where did he post that? Um, I have no idea. I mean, like he, he would have just posted it on a website, on a blog, you know, and anybody could do that right now um, and just say, here's my, here, or here's a, not my, but like, here's a Bitcoin address or here's an Ethereum address. As soon as it hits this amount, then, then the, this, you know, I'll, I'll release the rest of the content. And you could even put that in a smart contract. Somebody would still have, they still have to trust you to some extent to like actually do like publish the rest of it. Uh, you could, but you could come up with some ways to like, uh, in, you know, make that a bit more trustworthy. But um, so that's I, I thought that's a really I thought that was a really interesting idea. But but he could have also done it and said, also, <laughs> uh, it's not Bitcoin. I need Vitalik coin. Um, and 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 the, but of course the question is like, oh, how the heck do you get Vitalik coin, right? So, uh, but you, you could do that. There's nothing stopping, uh, I think one of the very first example smart contracts I ever read was, uh, a little token called Gavcoin, Gavin, uh, Wood, I think his last name is, was one of the co-founders of Ethereum. And yeah, like the very first contract that in, in like the very first tutorial I ever saw was Gavcoin. <laughs> Gavin was tokenizing himself. Um, now, like, it's just the problem with that is it's just going to be a very small market. Right. But you if know? it's like a, but if it's a, yeah, interesting, but I guess for, so all the people who have Gavcoin, they can, they can motivate each other to do things with their Gavcoins. Yeah. But why not just use Bitcoin or something that's more general general purpose usually if something's specific like that it's 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 so that they, you can accomplish something um like something very specific like uh I, now i'm blanking of course <laughs> um like for instance a protocol like the web itself like that could be tokenized or could have been if it was a token they would have changed that the tech economy like fundamentally if like we had to use tokens to transact in or like transfer information on the like through http like the web protocol uh that would like that's totally technically feasible but it's just not how it works right now it's totally free to do that but we pay in other ways right right okay fascinating fascinating so 
um, like what you were saying before about what uh, Vitalik did, you could like I could basically so like I have a blog, I write lots of I have lots of possible blog posts in my mind, I could like post short abstracts for like 20 different possible blog posts I could write. And I could say once any one of these crosses some threshold, then I will write that one. And I'll kind of, you could use it as a way for your readers to tell you what you should focus on. Okay. But okay. So if you do that, that's cool. Like, so the problem with that is people are like, wait a second, if I put Bitcoin into this, this address here and it's for the losing, it doesn't get critical mass. Then I just lost this money and you just get to keep it. But you could create a smart, you could create a smart contract that has like 20 different possibilities and it's and and the only way for you to get the money out is for all the other money to get transferred back to the people right for for all the people that like chose the the abstracts that didn't get the majority they would the contract would automatically transfer their money back when you took your money for the winning one out and it's like all right i'm getting paid i'm gonna write this i'll not that you've already written it, of course, and you're just going to release it now <laughs> or you're going to write it or whatever. But anyway, the cool thing is about a smart contract is like you can code all that into it and people can see that and trust that. Okay, cool. So if I, it's like a no lose situation, either I'm going to lose and get my money back and it's all good, or I'm going to pick the winner. He's going to take my money and I get what I want. Right. And so I guess you would to do that, you would have to also write some sort of front end, I guess, that would let people see this and kind of yes. like, interact with it. And that's what and that's why you had to learn JavaScript. And and you could potentially basically so like I have a Jekyll blog, for instance. I could potentially kind of just code up a visual interface on my blog posts that let people say like, okay, I click here to give this amount of ether to this blog post or something like that. Yeah, exactly. Uh, and they yeah so there's one one important aspect is is they need like uh, an ethereum wallet basically something that has their private key that 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 controls their their balance of ether um and so there's a chrome extension called metamask which is by far the most popular way of doing this is it just it it gives you that basically gives you that kind of functionality of uh, of a wallet in your browser and just, um, yeah, and it, and it works great. And it's just, I mean, it's been used millions of times over at this point. Very interesting, man. This has been really, really fascinating to uh, hear your thoughts on these things. It's definitely helped. Yeah, like I said, at once, it's kind of constrained my imagination to be a little bit more realistic, but it's also opened some doors for some of the things I'm interested in. So uh, thank you so much, Dave. This has really been very re rewarding. I, I, I greatly appreciate it. No problem. Thanks for listening, everybody. If you have any thoughts on that, good or bad, definitely let me know. Shoot me an email or you can DM me on Twitter. If you were really into that, you might leave a review on iTunes. That would be cool. Or if you were really, really into that, you might want to become a patron yourself. You can check that out at patreon.com slash jmurphy with no U. All right, cool. Talk to you later.